with your mates, your family, yep. your friends. Um, and, you know, it's a hobby and no one has to buy from us. We're not selling insurance. It's not like a compulsory product that you have to oh, buy. Oh, that's heaps better. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's so much better. Sorry. I just, um, <laughs> right, boys, um yeah, we're, we're good to go. So you guys can start whenever you guys are ready. Oh, so are we, are we already recording? Uh, yeah. Just yeah. Cool. Here. Cool. Beautiful. Um, know, can I just ask before we go, oh, sure, like you, you can, if there's any kind of like, oh, hang on. Yeah, you'll edit it out or whatever. whatever you, if there's anything that you if say... If the conversation doesn't flow properly because I don't know the answer or like a... If know, there's whatever. anything that you say that you don't want in there, we can we can shoot it over to you prior to publishing it and you can say, nah, don't like but that. No, don't like normally it's just a, like a full... We've, yeah, we've never had uh, we've never had a situation where... I don't think we will, but... Like, uh, yeah, um, I can... I just you know, know how these things work. How long does it go for? As long as we can, as long as you want. So, I mean, usually it's 30 minutes, sometimes, sometimes longer, but yeah, 30 minutes is usually... Yeah, it. that'll be... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you did know. you listen to that radio program I sent you? I listened to, I listened to the first, the first half of it, and then then my computer shit itself. So, uh, <laughs> so I I didn't listen to the rest. So imagine that uh, the ABC one, right? Yeah, yeah that conversation yeah. might be a little bit like this one, mm-hmm. maybe. Potentially. Yeah. I've got no, I've got no doubt we'll cover off, um, cover off a little bit of different stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll be happy to be led by you. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, guys, uh, today we've got Hamish. Rogers, it's Wilson, isn't it? Yeah. Guys, today we've got Hamish Rogers Wilson. He's the owner of the Australian Home Brewing Company. And um, Hamish has been, um, sorry, I'll start that again. So guys, today we've got Hamish Rogers Wilson. He's the owner of the of Australian Home Brewing. They are a company that uh, produces and distributes home brewing technology as well as home brewing products um hamish welcome oh thank you tim great to be here fantastic thanks for having me what no. a great view we've got out here of uh Albert park lake and the, yeah, and the Port Phillip Bay. it is glorious it is yeah. glorious <laughs> it's a much better view of uh than than what these cameras have i wonder if i, could, <laughs> I wonder if i could rent this joint off you on the during the grand prix i think so i think so four grand a night right <laughs> that's right Mate, um, really good to have you here. I think, um, I think I'd love to love to dig into um, a little bit of background and find out exactly what Australian Home Brewing does. Can you give the audience a bit of a background on that? Yeah, so our um, our business essentially sells uh, beer, spirit, wine making products, all sorts of products to make drinks. But essentially, it's it's hardcore DNA is in beer, and uh, we sell essentially. Everything, all the equipment, all the ingredients, and everything you need to make any kind of beer you like. You know, so what we call it, we call it small batch brewing, really. Yeah. What's the most popular beer that you guys distribute? I'd be very interested to understand uh, what the market's doing because we've had this enormous shift, especially amongst independent brewers across to um, across the pale ales and hop, more hoppy, um, yeah. hoppy products, but. Then you look at the traditional Australian beer, and it's it's lager, lager, lager. You know what I mean. Yeah. So, what's the um, what's the most popular one that you see in the home brewing market? Oh, that's a really good question, Tim. So, in the last couple of years, we've seen all sorts of changes and, and trends. We've got some really good data on this sort of stuff. If we, if we want to get into that sort of technical side of it, but uh, what's really seems to be exploding in the last um, year or two are, are hazies. People yep. are people are loving the concept of of hazies um there's what we do uh, we do a lot of sort of 
what we call recipe packs. So mm-hmm. people buy completed uh, recipes. We call it craft beer in a box. Yep. And uh, we've got so- all sorts of tools where people can select their favorite styles and so on. And it gives us the data, but the hazies are exploding. Uh, IPAs are, are really popular. And depending on seasonality, we right now we're in winter, so lagers and pilsners because they're low temperature fermenting products, but they don't sell really in summer. Um, but also if we think about the, the commercial market, like VB, like it's an enormous beer and it's got a huge audience. So we've also got products that, that uh, really sit in that wheelhouse and they're massively popular as well. But where the real explosion in growth has been over probably even, a, it's a 10-year trend, has been that craft side. So uh, people will go to Dan Murphy's or they go to the local pub, they'll try something and then they'll come in and say, I really want to make that. How do we make that? What's, what kind of hops do they use? So all of the products that any brewery can can access we can also access the same products but we if you like get it down to like 20 liter batches so malt hops yeast and water it's a very simple formula but you can make hundreds literally hundreds of styles of beer very easily yeah talking about hazy so um i i lived in america in 2005 and the first time i went to the states was i think it was 2000 and maybe three, and then I went back to, to, to move there in 2005. And I feel like hazies were enormous over there in the States. And um, certainly in when I traveled through the South, I traveled in Memphis and Arcan- in um, Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was all, it was all hazies. So, you know, um, you go to one of, the, one of the pubs or one of the, they call them bars there, and there's, um, you know, 40 different taps. And I think 20 or 25 of those taps were those really – you know, really hazy. You couldn't see through the beer type of type of products. Um, is that a uniquely American thing that's kind of come across here? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know, but what I do know about that is that I mean, hazies have been around for a long time. You think about uh, Belgian wit beers; they're effectively a hazy beer. So it really has got to do a lot to do with the the um, uh, the wheat content. It's got the high, high protein, um, creates a sort of a haze, if you like. So it's been around for a long time. Um, but in terms of um, IPAs and sort of juicy XPAs, that's a term that's used a lot now. It refers to fruit, but they can often be hazy as well. Yeah, you would imagine that a lot of those trends have come from the US mm. uh, and we do pick them up pretty generally pretty quickly. Of course, we've started our own trends with um, brewers like uh, Stone and Wood who have come up with the concept of Pacific Ales using Australian hops and that sort of thing. And that's another very popular um, uh, style of beer that people like to make. What's the difference between that and an IPA, for example? Well, well, the, I guess the IPA, well, there's, there's, in terms of IPA, IPA effectively means India Pale Ale, which the traditional IPA was a British style beer, um, which was a uh, used uh, or drunk in British India back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, it was a very high um, alcohol content beer. I trust that to come from the Brits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But I guess it also helped with preserving it in the hot climate and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So these days, when people refer to IPAs, more often than not, they're talking about generally American style or even what we call perhaps even Australian style uh, beers, which are 
generally high, higher hopped in content and we'll have, um, you know, they'll be higher in alcohol. There'll be a lot more malt and, and so on in the beer. But I guess the malt balances out with the hops and that's an ideal type of IPA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. The um, uh, Your background, you've obviously had a couple of different careers and in your, in your life and um, I'd love to learn kind of how you got here. I think that everyone's got their story to tell and everyone um, gets to where they are in a very, mm. very different way. Yeah. Um, you know, I never, I, I, I never dreamed that I would be in technology, um, you know, f- even four years ago. So, um, and my journey to technology was, was one that um, it would not be a standard journey to technology. So I'd love to understand a little bit more about your journey and kind of how you got to, how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, well, this business, um, Australian Home Brewing was actually a business owned by my father. And as a kid, I uh, used to come in and do some holiday work and pack malt and pack hops and uh, unbox Cooper's cans and, and things like that. I have a lot of great memories about that. And of course, dad would bring the stuff home and I'd start brewing it. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was very popular because I always had beer on hand and no one else could afford to buy beer. Um, so, but that wasn't really my career at, at that point. And uh, I went off, did a lot of uh, traveling and various other things. But to cut a long story short, I, I really came, I had a background in um, AFL Club Lander and also at the AFL itself. And uh, in fact, I worked with your, your uncle. You did? Uh, yeah, I did, <laughs> Andrew. And. Um, which yeah. clubs did you? Uh, which club did you? Uh, did you work at? I worked at Hawthorne, so yeah. I was part of Operation uh, Payback. People, people old enough to remember, uh, would remember that there was a proposed merger between Hawthorne and Melbourne back I remember. in the, back in the nineties. And was that uh, during the the Joseph Goodnick era? It was. Well, Joseph Goodnick came after that period, but uh, so he helped saved uh, Melbourne Football Club, and uh, Hawthorne Football Club also helped. Save Melbourne Football Club by voting no to the merger. Uh, so uh, it didn't happen. We didn't get any thanks uh, <laughs> on grand final day. for well, Thank you, Hawthorne, for making <laughs> yeah. sure that we still exist as a football club. Mm. Uh, and so I worked with Don Scott uh, and the volunteers and we helped save the club and they ended up uh, work going into the membership department after the vote went through as a no back in uh, 96, 97. And... Um, Anyway, that pathway led me into the AFL, and uh, I spent some years at the AFL, uh, working and uh, in in corporate, in the sort of the corporate and sponsorship area, um, and yeah, just always had the idea that I'd probably like to work for myself, mm-hmm. and yeah, we just it was an opportunity, and I ended up um, purchasing the business off my father, and and yeah, so I've been been in it for quite a while, so that's sort of. For sure, a, sh- a short story on the journey. Yeah, um, but I mean, nothing can prepare you like small for small business, <laughs> like actually yeah. diving into a small business. Yeah, there's an enormous shift, um, enormous shift from managing large corporate relationships where you're dealing with people who, um, when it's not their, it's not in fact their business, and um, and it's not your business, no. but your, um, but you're maintaining. Money to spend. There's a lot of money to spend. There's a lot of money on entertainment to spend, <laughs> um, and uh, especially in you know, I know, I know from um, from that industry. You know, my family's been, uh, my father and my and my uncle both been in that industry in football for. For they were for a lot, a lot of years, and there's a lot of that entertainment dollar that gets spun around. Yes. So it's vastly different to owning your yeah. own sports. It's business. something that I do miss, I have to admit. Yep. 
But uh, yeah, so we're we're in a different space now, and uh, we're it's a really happy space to work in, and yeah, it's a good sp- good place to be. And what's been your um, what's been your um, opinion of um, running a small business? I my feeling is that in Australia they tend to make it pretty difficult, and I, I don't think it's a very um, very appealing small um, market for small business owners to go into. Mm. I think that it's very highly taxed and regulated, and I think that. Um, the ATO really gets stuck into people when um, when they haven't got spare money to um, you know, to pay their mm. pay um, outstanding. So I'd love to learn um, a little bit about your journey as a small business owner. I think it's mm-hmm. a really good lesson for people to learn. Yeah, I think um, we are oh, we're pretty fortunate. I mean, yes, it's very tough. Uh, it's 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 hard out there. There's a lot of competition and and so on. But there's also, I mean, there's never been a time when we've had more opportunity for growth. Uh, than than now in the last few years. Obviously, the internet's been an amazing help to that. But certainly during the lockdown where a lot of businesses would have suffered, uh, we just went the complete opposite way. So it's obviously the the government um, kicked in a lot for for business and I think they did a pretty remarkable job for small business. I mean, not a perfect job, but yeah, who who could ask for perfection during this period? I would uh, yeah. I I'd tend to agree with you during during the last couple of years or thereabouts. I think they they I think they did a spectacular job to be honest. Yeah. Um. I don't, I don't I still don't think the environment is is as good as 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 some other places, but I do think that um the way that they funded businesses in the last couple of years yeah. was was really good. It was yeah. like, it's the money was in the right spots. Yeah. So look, it's so important. I, I'm not. Uh, thinking that I, I would have all the answers. But from my own selfish point of view, our business did very well um, during, and, and I know our, our industry in general did pretty well, particularly those that were set up for online e- e-commerce. Online yep. And yeah, we, we'd probably worth having a little chat about that. But um, when the first lockdown happened, I'll never forget the day that Daniel Andrews announced, I, was, I think it was a Sunday, that they were going, everything was going to be locked down on the Tuesday, and you had twenty four hours, and it was beyond panic buying, <laughs> and uh, we've never seen anything like it. And and during that sort of that that next three or four month period, uh, we were just breaking records every single day, uh, and it was all around uh, bricks and mortar retail was completely shut, uh, but. Uh, people kept doing click and collect, even though they could only come five kilometres and then suddenly parcels were just going everywhere all around Australia. So our major problem was actually keeping up with the demand. Our systems were groaning because we had never experienced this kind of demand and uh, you know, it ended up becoming quite a thing to manage, but we learning through all of this, and I guess this is also part of our DNA as a business that we love our customers and... Um, and we pretty much get, we get a lot of love back as well. And I think a lot of that's just got to do with basic communication. So during that period, we, we were running up to two weeks behind just being able to get parcels out. There were so many there, we just couldn't get them. And we were running seven day shifts. And, but we kept our communication up as much as we possibly could. And we ended up you know, coming out of it pretty unscathed mm. from that customer relations point of view and that's that's not anything to do with beer or brewing that's just to do with service yeah how did you how did you scale during that period obviously you guys went you know record after record after Mm. record how did you did you need to scale your staff did you need to scale um, your 
um, your procurement of products and that type of thing. I know that from the start of COVID to the end of COVID was a different story. And even now, you know, we've got, I don't even want to start with the supply chain issues. We can cover that later. But, um, but, but how did you as a business scale? Did you have to scale with human beings or did you scale systems or? That's a really good question. In fact, uh, so when we talk about human beings, well, the first thing, I, I mean, I don't, it's probably hard to even remember now. I remember walking down the beach and getting too close to people who weren't, even though they were wearing masks and thinking, oh, geez, why don't you just stand back? Like we were, so we had, we had staff, some older staff that had been with for a long time that just didn't want to come to work. They were worried about basically getting the thing and, and not living through it. So we actually lost staff, and then we were also very nervous about getting new people in because we don't we didn't know who they were or where they were living, and so we were only able to work with trusted uh, people. And I think that happened to a lot of businesses, but it was certainly ours. Um, in terms of scale, we we're lucky enough to have a warehouse that could hold a lot of product, and we were able to bring in a lot of product. We had some good intel on, um, you know, some lines of sight on 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 the stock and what was coming in, what was coming off the containers. Um, and we were just, I guess we were able to adapt. We were, we were set up well enough to be able to adapt to the supply chain problems. And we had massive problems, but it, it almost worked to our advantage because we were better off than pretty much all of our competitors. So the really the scaling um, came from just looking at our systems and what can we do uh, to like get the parcels out quicker to be more responsive to our customers, to be to be able to communicate better with our customers. So we did that. But in hindsight now, I think what we were developing was coping mechanisms, not like like lockdown strategy because we were just so busy. Mm. So it's only even now that we're able to take a breath that we're really going back into that strategy piece. But um, so I think we just developed coping mechanisms. We're pretty good at doing that, but we were run off our feet. Yeah. What's uh, you spoke about systems and you know scaling systems? What systems do you use in your business? So you've got obviously got something for accounting. You've got something for your mm. stock. You've got something for um, your actual distribution itself. You've got something for your transport, logistics, etc. Yeah. Um, can you run me through your your all the systems that, that you use in your business? Well, we we have a sort of pretty uh, simple setup. So we use Neto, which is an Australian-based yep. software Neto. Yep. that uh, you'd probably be aware of. So our our uh, website, uh, AustralianHomeBrewing.com.au. Uh, uh, that's uh, we've actually just given a little bit of a refresh, but that's on the Neto platform. And it's it's pretty user friendly. Our POS point of sale system uh, is within Neto itself, and all our shipping is connected to uh, like the couriers or Australia Post via via Neto. So, from the point of view of it being on a single platform, um, Neto does that back end with zero on on mm-hmm. the accounting, but effectively that's just bank recs and you know getting yeah yeah you know. Uh, profit and loss and so on but from the the daily point of view we use uh neto and it plugs into a lot of other sort of add-ons that we that we've been using uh and we've got some really and we have actually in the last couple of years uh, connected with a couple of really good partners in um shipping and all that type of thing uh shipping uh well certainly our couriers we've got a really uh good setup with um with courier companies and we've got some great pricing. We've got good relationships. One of our 
guys we're very fortunate enough used to be have a courier franchise that's pretty Ooh. experienced in that area and that's been crucial oh, for us. It's been a cost that every mm. every person I've spoken to on this podcast has been ravaged by by costs associated mm. with with um with delivering the products that they're selling. It's been yeah. it's been amazing. You know, freight we know freight from overseas if you're bringing stuff in. Um, every container's triple cost triple what it used to, right. what it cost. I don't know a year ago. Um, even during COVID, it's triple from from then. So it's um, yeah, uh, having access to good careers and good systems like that is is important. Yeah. So we've um, we we pretty much stick to sort of two careers. We use Australia Post, obviously, because Australia Post can there are so there there are so many areas in Australia, and we send to every corner. That couriers just won't deliver to, so you have to use Australia Post, and and uh, geez, they they used to they were sending out weekly or almost monthly emails, or we're behind, and this is the reason, and we had to pass that information on. So there's a lot of understanding, but it, once again, it came back to communication, uh, and we have um, our other courier. They're now called Aramax, but they were it were Fastway couriers. They're our main um, go tos, and um, they generally did a pretty good job. But uh, even the couriers experienced a lot of problems and most of the problems were around just not delivering stock or losing parcels and that sort of sort of thing, which I'm sure... Losing parcels. Oh, oh losing me, parcels. Let me see there on the side of the road getting shit-faced. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, that's, you, 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 I think there's a little bit of that that might have come into it. But um, yeah, so we've... But interesting, like we think of, we're talking about pricing and pricing going up and so on. We've only just started experiencing that in the last three or four months where yeah. basically everything's been going up. The line has been pretty well held during that last two or three years, but now everything's shooting up, like all of our costs. And so, yeah, so that's just something that we're going to see everywhere. Yeah, for sure. The All the government stimulus fund f- funds from every different government across the world um, mixed with the lockdowns, you've got this enormous amount of demand that's been driven by all this all this extra government cash. Mm. And then you've got the lockdowns, which destroyed supply globally. Mm. You've got you know, too many dollars chasing too few goods and, and you've got heavy inflation. And that's why everything's gone yeah. gone, gone nuts. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think um, just the, co- the cost of shipping is probably a huge impact on, on this because a lot of the product does come from overseas. And... Um, uh, and I, I, I don't know what in terms of what's going on in Ukraine, but um, you know, malt is a major uh, uh, ingredient to beer, and the, those guys uh, grow a lot of uh, malt and wheat mm. over there. So I, I don't know, and, but and, I, and I do for, know and fertilizer. Raw materials are going through the roof. Mm. Um, the, yeah, um, the I was having a look. Um, I was having a look at the US. Um, the US inflation figures not only from a consumer price index, but also the producer price index. And the consumer price index, I think, is 8.9% there. And the um, and the producer price index is 10.9%. Mm. So, and the producer always comes before the consumer. So that's what we would expect to see from a consumer perspective. So mm. it's going to get... It's going to get dearer and dearer yeah. and dearer to do everything, but I guess um, do you guys you guys would just incorporate that into your into your standard pricing, or do you absorb that, or because it's very 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 hard to absorb that. You might have I've just heard myself sigh into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one. Um, we 
we don't approach it like that to just do it like, okay, the price has gone up 10%. We've got to pass pass that on. That's what we do. We're in a, we're in a sort of, yeah, the way we think about our business is we, we're like a, a community of people and uh, a community of, of brewers and we're in it because we love it. We do it because we love to share it. We do it because we love to share it with our friends. And so, well, I guess what we try and do is um, there, there's no precedence to this, but I, I don't want to have that hard approach to pricing. Where we can actually um, have some flexibility, we will do that. And where we think, you know, it mightn't work. So we kind of almost look at it at, um, you know, well, not potentially product by product, but sort of um, category by category. And then where is it we might have an advantage in terms of su- supply or sourcing so that we don't have to do like a standard 10% on all product. I mean, that'd be easy. It'd take much less time, but we're in it for the long haul and our relationship with our customers are crucial. So we may be taking less on some product and we might have a little bit extra room on others. So it's a bit nuanced how we're approaching the pricing. And uh, of course, we've really got to be aware of the data and and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think the... Um, you've got your options of, of passing on that cost, but then um, you think to yourself, is that going to affect scale? Because potentially it might piss off customers and that type of thing, which, mm. you know, in your business, your customers are your everything. Mm. Um, so being able to being able to um, on charge that, those costs may affect scale, or you can just focus on the scale side of things, keep your customers happy. And that's probably more so what you guys do, right? You you focus more heavily on on the customer to make sure the customer keeps purchasing. And if the customer keeps purchasing, usually scale looks after margins um, on its own. Yeah, uh, there, there is that. And there are other things in terms of like, for example, which platform do you sell on? So we, we, we sell on our own website. Uh, we sell on marketplaces like, like eBay. Uh, we sell direct to the consumer in in store so um so it's interesting when you look at marketplaces there's such a it's been such a fantastic phenomenon because the they've got millions of customers and you've got access to them but you don't own that that relationship with the customer the the platform or ebay owns that that relationship um so it also owns part of your margin as well right it owns part of your margin so i'm happy to um, what we want to do is that when they when they come direct to us, that they're always going to get they're always going to be better off than going to the marketplace. So if they're in the marketplace, they can find us, they can discover us, they can buy from us. It's still a very good good price, good deal. If they choose to buy, that's great. But really, what we want to do is have that direct relationship with the the customer. And I think that's for us has been a big shift because a few years ago. The buzzword was marketplace, marketplace, marketplace. Certainly in our um, in sector and and other sectors, but I think what has happened in that that uh, this this lockdown period is those that have had scalability on their own websites have seen the huge benefits from that, and we certainly were prepared. Like um, at that time, I remember we just launched a brand new site, and then um, not long after that, this whole sort of lockdown thing happened um and so then marketplaces became a whole lot less important to us because we couldn't 
service them as well as we could service our direct customer. And our direct customers were way more important because we, we didn't own that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so mar- marketplace is still a, uh, you know, a very important part of what we do, but um, we're way more excited about the, our, our direct relationship with the, the customer. And of course, the, the nature of business has changed hugely since before and after the, the lockdown. Yeah, the um, you spoke before about being a you know offering small batch brewing packs. Mm. Now, can you give um give me a bit of a bit of a rundown on what the difference is between brewing small batch and brewing you know a larger volume? Number one and number two, if you could please run me through the exact process of taking a um taking the raw materials what equipment you would need to put them into from a, from a small batch brewing perspective and uh, what the process is from there to be able to produce the end product. Oh, it's a really, it's a really good question. So the first thing I'd say is I've never been a large batch brewer. So um, brewers who might be listening to this, mm. um, I'm pretty sure that most <laughs> of them have been small batch brewers uh, and they've gone into the large batch brewing and that's where they found their, their, their passion so I've always been in what we call, I guess, the home brewing, but the small batch is what we like to call it. Um, so Australia's pretty unique. Oh, sorry, yeah, Australia's pretty unique in um, in our sort of history on home brewing. So Cooper's uh, Brewery started up. Uh, so I, I believe they started in the early '80s or maybe even the late '70s with effectively wort kits that they came out with. So mold extract that has that wasn't fermented that was uh, made in the brew house and they simply added yeast to these. Uh, I think they might have even come in plastic bags back in those days in a box. And back in, I might be getting my history a little bit out, but back in the eighties, sometime they came out with a mold extract can, the famous sort of Cooper's can that used to be available in the supermarket and so on. And that's where a lot of um, our brewing culture came from. So we've got a lot to thank the Coopers guys in uh, South Australia and really uh, introduced our, our industry to to easy access brewing. And so from there, what has developed is a real culture around making beer with home brewing using malt extract, um, which is essentially the, the mashed grain and the concentrated wort uh, where you then use it you add water back in and your ingredients to make to make beer um <clears throat> so i really think here in australia and perhaps places like new zealand where lion nathan does have a very high quality malt ex- extract plant in dunedin and they make products for home beer making brands such as black rock and and beer makers um which are not commercial brands but they're home home brewing brands the quality of the product is so high that it is, it's just so easy to make really high quality craft beer, if you like, in small batches. And we're talking, say, 20 litres. Um, if we were to compare that over to the US, there's been the culture that there was never really a great mod extract option like what Coopers had developed here. So their industry and their sort of DNA in this in this area was always all grain brewing and uh, which is effectively making uh, a mash from a crushed grain, adding the hops, 
And every beer, of course, it's got the same ingredients, malt, hops, yeast, and water. Uh, and so they've got a, a massive um, uh, sort of industry in, in, from, from grain, brewing from grain products. Is that just due to the is – is, is, so the, the quality of the Australian homebrew, is that a better quality purely because of the access to the base products, the access to the raw materials – in comparison to the US, or is it just because of the culture around what base products and raw materials they use? Yeah, that's a that's another good question. I'm not uh, entirely sure how to answer that, other than there are two. So Coopers and uh, Lion Nathan, through um, uh, the BlackRock and the Beer Makers brand that are made in New Zealand, they're very high quality, high grade brewing malts. So obviously the key to making great beer, uh, I always say, is you've got to have you've got to start off with great quality ingredients. You've got to have get the balance right in terms of the flavour of the malts and the hops and so on. You've got to use the right kind of yeast, which is the same yeast that would be used at commercial at commercial brewing, and it's got to be brewed at the right temperature. So you get all those elements right, you're going to make a fantastic high quality beer. Now around around the world. There is another company over in the UK called Muntins. They make very high quality malt extract, but it's not prolific uh, everywhere. So, yeah. How much of the malt and yeast that we would expect in our beers in Australia, how much of that is imported? Because I was talking to um, a gentleman by the name of Dermot from from Beer Co. and, and it was te- we were talking about the supply chain problems. This is this is about three or four months ago, and. He was of the opinion that, um, and he was talking about how the fact that um, a lot of this stuff needs to be imported and does and is imported, um, and that's one of the issues around the supply chain was the fact that um, we didn't have access to a lot of some of these materials at scale in Australia. Um, can you comment on that? Well, I think I imagine uh, Dermot's been talking about um, actual grain, uh, so uh, as opposed to malt extract. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming. Um, so. We do grow. I, whilst I'm not an expert in that in the grain industry, a lot of our uh, high grade brewing malts are grown here, but then a lot come from overseas. Places like Germany, the UK, the US, um, those those kind of places where they do grow a very high quality malt, and they're used in a lot of different beers here. Um, the in terms of extract, uh, that is manufactured here in Australia or mm-hmm. over in New Zealand, but. Uh, I imagine they would also use imported grains as well. But of course, we grow our own. So it'd be the same with the hops too. The, Australia has some amazing um, varieties of hops. Galaxy, Ella, Eclipse, grown by Hop Products Australia in Victoria and in uh, Tasmania. But then there are so many uh, hops. There's certain types though, right? They've, yeah. They're like, like, like everything grown in the world, each region has its own characteristics. Well, they do, but also they have proprietary over these products, so they've developed them themselves, so no one else is allowed to, okay. to grow them. So hops are sort of pretty much owned. Uh, so the US has their own varieties, New Zealand does, the UK and Europe as well. And um, so it's very easy to get access to, the, to those products because they come in a pelletized form, very easy to ship, and so you can replicate any beer style because of it. Um, 
Hops is such a wonderful uh, creative canvas to work with. Yeah, yeah. It's and- been yeah. I mean, all the conversations I've had, the that seems to be the key, the key trigger or key element that it really defines the defines a lot of what 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 a beer becomes. Mm-hmm. The um and the amount of different the, the amount of differentiation across all the different I guess I'll call them skews, but you can call them whatever you want is just unbelievable. The 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 fact that something can be slightly slightly different and produces mm-hmm. a completely different end product. Yeah, it does. And also blending them, that's a lot of fun too. You know? So I've got my own particular um I, I really love um uh Galaxy and uh Ella. Uh, as a combination hop they're two tasmanian grown hops and they do produce that big fruity citrusy punchy uh beers and um which which are effectively if, if uh, that that it's that sort of pacific style so i just love stone and wood pacific mm-hmm. ale it's very simple very sessionable beer it's got that big fruity taste they use the galaxy hops and uh so we've we've constantly developing new recipes and we use a lot of those australian hops and people we, we spoke about before hazes and so on but they love the big fruity beers there that's a that's a definitely a, a massive trend and using combinations of wheat malt and barley malt i don't know if we've gone off track on the conversation but i, I was just yeah i i i think it's um yeah i think that trend's going to stay for a long time yeah and cool and something uniquely australian i believe so a, a couple of questions to finish off. So what's your favorite type of beer to have two beers of? And what's your favorite type of beer to have six beers of? <laughs> I know that it's a, it's a, I often get a very different result from, from both. Okay. So six beers, that's an interesting one. To me, it's not the beer, but it's more the occasion. So mm-hmm. six beers, it's probably going to be carbon draft at the MCG. It's like, I would never buy a four and twenty pie, but if I'm going to buy, if at the MCG, the only pie I'm going to eat is a four and twenty pie. There's something about those pie warmers there from the from, from the football. I I went to the I went to the boxing the other night um, with the um, at uh, where was it? It was at um, at Telstra Dome. What's that called now? Marvel Stadium, and I had a and and I would never I would never usually get a hot dog. It's just not not really a thing that I would uh, I would eat. But I I um I had a hot dog at the at the at the boxing the other day and it was just it was outstanding and then <laughs> but yeah that's the only time i would also have a pie so it's interesting you say that's that there. yeah so i would never buy a carlton draft but i do like a beer on tap and i think it's an occasion beer for me um maybe that fits right into their marketing and my age group and on the fact that i'm a male etc there is um, something great about carlton draft yeah. on, on on tap though <laughs> yeah i'll never forget my um my my granddad, uh, every Saturday afternoon, he'd put on the radio, sit in the backyard and have one, one tallie or one long neck of Carlton Draft. Mm. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, I just love that kind of tradition when it mm. comes to beer. So that would be the six-beer uh, route, and I've done that certainly more than once. Um, I certainly love being at the MCG. And what was the other question? It was about two beers. Two beers, yeah. It would it would depend on where I was, uh, but I think a winter in Melbourne. If I was in a um, in a pub that had lots of variety and choice, it I'd probably go for like a a chocolatey sort of porter or, or stout. Um, who would who would be the the kind of producer of that in in Australia? 
Well, actually, uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> I've really, I've got a porter that, that we call it double chop porter and it's got like chocolate essence in it and chocolate grain and, and um, just lots of malty goodness, not too bitter. It's, it's actually the favourite porter that I've ever, ever had. But um, uh, do you know what? I, I couldn't tell you that. I just like, I'm opportunistic. I'd see it on a tap and I'd try it. Yep. Um, so I love that. So I'm just thinking, you know, it's pretty cold at the moment. That'd be something really nice to have. But look, any beer that's 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 in flavour, it has flavour and it's balanced. You know, I, I do like the fruity stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so. cool. Awesome. Um, to finish off, where do you see the, the home brewing market going? I mean, I was, I've been reading recently and, and the scale that the homebrew market has seen in the last 24 months has been extraordinary. Mm. Where do you see the market in, say, 24 months from now and then into the future? I think it's going to grow heavily as you know, as it has been and e-commerce is going to just support that. Yeah. But I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, it's a good question. I think the uh, the whole – I think almost you've, you've got to go back to there's, – there's two elements of it. We've got the craft, the whole sort of explosion of – um, education around craft beer and then you've got the DIYs and then DIY is such a big thing now so it's all part of that and then you've got the e-commerce side it, it's just such an easy product to ship because um, as we spoke about before you're not shipping water you're actually shipping the ingredients and you're adding your own water so it's really you can you can do it anywhere um, so I I think that um, whilst uh, our people's tastes have changed with the with the development of craft beer, and the fact that you can actually easily replicate any kind of beer at home, um, and then we are now much more um, there's much more opportunity to buy online from good good retailers, good businesses. So I really think I, I'm seeing this as a, a, a an industry that's going to grow online at rates much higher than other comparable industries because it's just such an easy and ideal product to ship. And because there's not a store on every corner, it's not like you can go to Coles and you can buy this stuff that's that that can replicate that. So I think it's a sort of a two pronged story, but a lot of it is around that e-commerce and that communication and that that sort of critical connection with customers they don't have to be in your space for you to be able to look after them and um i think that's that's it'll definitely continue to grow in that area and we're seeing you know a huge chunk of our sort of businesses is now online yeah i had this um i had this theory which i was thinking about a couple of weeks ago which is around getting home brewing kits and kind of a um a, a a venue or a, or something like that, actually white labeling a home brewing kit and, and being able to brew their own beer and package their own beer and sell it on premises. And I kind of, um, I kind of think that commercially that would make a lot of sense as well. Um, it's just a, just a theory, but I think there's a wholesale market in, in, um, in, in home brewing. I think the ability to white label someone else's brew and to be able to brew that and sell that on, on your premises, yeah. I really think that's a market that one day will take off because yeah. um, it, it happened in coffee about oh, probably seven or eight years ago. A lot of the roasters started offering um, the, 
the um, venue, so the cafe. Um, the cafe would go to a roaster and they would say, hey, I want to create my own brew and I want to be able to package it up so it's got all of my branding and stuff on it. And that was massive about eight years ago. And now we see the, the vast majority of cafes are doing that now where they purchase, they pick whatever beans they want and then they package it up and it's got their branding and everything on it and they sell it on premises. Mm. I think there's, I think in in your market, I just, I just, I feel like there's no reason why that couldn't be a thing and wholesale couldn't take off in your, in your space. And I think that, um, I think that, it is it is slightly different to what you're to what everyone's used to, but I just I think it's a future market. Are you, are you sort of referring to something like real sort of micro batches, like maybe fifty or a hundred liters uh, that they would make themselves or get someone else to make for them and put them into a can and then just have their label on it in their in their stores. I think that's certainly happening on a on a larger scale, mm-hmm. but people are probably. T- doing it on 500 a thousand liters or 1500 liters but if you're talking about like a restaurant owning its own product and having a 50 liter batch or a 100 liter batch and how we can make that scalable i think uh, there's something does that make commercial sense for them i mean how much what will be the the total cost including labor i mean i know it's hard hard to put your finger on total cost including labor to produce say i don't know um 50 litres of beer, which might be, call it two cases or thereabouts. Yeah, 50 litres of beer. So Actually, 50 litres of beer would be, what, four, about four cases, right? Yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah, so the, the, the well, a case is only about eight and a half litres, so it'd be... Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you're talking about a, like a, a slab, if you like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the missing piece in this puzzle for me is understanding the wet taxes, because obviously <laughs> they'd have to pay alcohol tax on it. But I think people would definitely be prepared to, if it was done right and there was a much-loved restaurant or, or, or local place and I think people would be prepared to pay potentially. Yep. It, it, it'd be – I'm sure you'd be able to pull it off. There, there's certainly – what's interesting about the type of equipment that's coming out now. So on small scale – uh, there's a great brand called uh, Grandfather, which we um, we're one of the first people to introduce it into Australia. That's a fantastic name as well. Grandfather, yeah, yeah Grandfather. <laughs> so they're uh, an, an unbelievable uh, Kiwi uh, mob that they've created these fantastic uh, all grain beer products, which is the whole concept is around brewing exactly how a commercial brewery does, but on a small scale. So using the stainless steel and the all-in-one grain systems and so on. So, the, and that's now scaled up to 70 litre type batches and fermentations. So whether it's commercially viable, but there's certainly that, that micro scale is creeping up and you can, you can brew on these small scales without having to plumb the place and do everything else related yeah. to it. Yeah. Possibly that's where people who are, you know, really sort of out there creating their own um, sort of trend, that's that the equipment will be there and whether there's the opportunity to do it, well, that'd be, yeah, that'd be the next phase. But I think I certainly can see it as possible to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it made, if it, if it made commercial sense from a, mm. from a, I guess a per can wholesale cost, mm. then, um, then yeah, I, I, I see it as a nice branding exercise, but but mate, thanks so much. That was a that was a, a really good chat. Really enjoyed it. Um, yep. Is there anything that you want to finish off with? 
And where can people find you? AustralianHomeBrewing.com.au? Yeah, AustralianHomeBrewing.com.au. We're in Oakley South uh, in Melbourne, but um, we're, we're on the phone all day, every day. We, we'd love to help. Or if you had any questions, feel free to contact us. But yeah, that's our website. You'll be able to see it, see it there. Yeah. Spectacular. Thanks, yeah. mate. Appreciate Thank you, it. Tim. Appreciate it. Awesome. Okay, bye.